Grab your cowboy hat or engineer's cap, because this is another episode of the Revival Steam Podcast. It will inspire listeners to a world of future Revenue American Steam Railroad operations. The sounds you will hear on this episode come from two albums, Journey to Yesterday's Volumes 1 and 2. Both were released in the 1970s by Arcade Custom Records and recorded by sound engineers Richard Kruger and Jeffrey Killiam. I am Alec Butler, the sound editor, fiction text narrator, and writer and host for this series. Since our last episode, the artist movement is still developing with our shortline saga. Imagine with me that one hot summer, we will take our next adventure to visit Wisconsin, North Dakota, Oregon, and California. In Wisconsin, we will visit a 10-wheeler doing some hard work on a short line on a wet day. We will then travel to North Dakota to visit a line that has embraced a new environment-friendly industry to recreate actual revenue steam service. While there, we will also be in the cab of the engine in charge. Next, in Oregon, we will hang out with two prairies on two different railroads at trackside. And lastly, we will visit the bulk of the action in California, including our first giant locomotive to participate in the RS movement. Mother Nature had her surprises on that summer trip, so relax, have a glass of water or juice, grab that bag of popcorn, and close your eyes. Be prepared for what we will provide you here on this, our eighth episode of the Revival Steam Podcast. Our adventure begins on a quiet piece of track in Wisconsin. It is the Wisconsin Great Northern. It runs 25 miles of ex-Chicago Northwestern trackage between Hayward and Spooner, Wisconsin. Though it runs tourist trains, it has some freight customers. Two are in Hayward, also connected with Canadian National, and there is a pulpwood yard in Springbrook, Wisconsin. Passenger operations run from Trago to Springbrook while the rest of the line to Spooner is used for car storage. We will use short-line steam for this operation, and we found the perfect candidate for the event. The hard-working 10-wheeler working for the WGN on the pulpwood trains is currently a static resident at the Mid-Continent Railroad Museum in North Freedom, Wisconsin. Western Coal and Coke No. 1 is a steam-powered immigrant from Canada where the Montreal Locomotive Works built her in 1913. She operated at the museum for several years till the late 80s, and plans are to restore her. But let's imagine that this powerful-looking Stevenson valve gear locomotive with a large tender works on duties she was built for. I think number one would look right at home, hauling pulpwood trains on the WGN. We capture number one as she finishes up switching and putting together her pulpwood-loaded consist in the yard at Springbrook. Heavy rains make the rail slippery, and you will notice the engine slip here as the driving wheels try to gain a grip on the wet rail. But soon the train is assembled, and the engine whistles off with her haunting hooter with a CN connection at Hayward. 
Now we move to the Black Hill regions of North Dakota. Here is a rail line that has a new purpose besides tourist hauling. The isolated 10-mile-long Black Hill Central Railroad was once part of the Keystone branch of the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroad, serving the timber and mining industry in the area. It even has the fame of hauling material that helped the construction of Mount Rushmore. Despite being isolated and short, the railroad rosters five steam locomotives, and one of them will be the star performer for us. The artist's purpose on the BHC is similar to the Buffalo Creek and Gauley in West Virginia, which I talked about a few episodes ago. Like the BCNG, the BHC will serve two medium-sized bio-coal energy production plants placed at each end of the line, at Hill City to the west and Keystone to the east. A bio-coal producing mine will stand near the middle of the line. Then each train heads to this midpoint with empties to load with bio-coal and proceed on to their destinations to unload. One additional function for this railroad is hosting limited-run logging festivals. Empty trains head to Keystone to pick up the loads from steam-loading machines. Crowds will watch these demonstrations of log-loading and switching there as well. Once loaded, the train will head back to Hill City and unload the logs into Spring Creek. The logs will flow in the water via Newton Fork to a recreated steam-powered sawmill on Major Lake. These exciting pieces of recreated revenue-hauling steam action over steep grades and tight curbs will provide one heck of a show. And that is where we will feature some of the action in this episode. On a nice sunny day in the Black Hills region, we catch some action on the Black Hills Central as we begin in Keystone. Our locomotive for these segments is 262 Prairie No. 7. This 1919 Baldwin-built engine has been displayed after Opry on the BHC for many years. In reality, we don't know if the engine will run again, but we will imagine in this podcast that it will. The sequence begins with us imagining what it would sound like inside the engine's boiler as it stands still at Keystone, waiting for the go-ahead. It is hooked up to a loaded log train as part of a log festival. Then we capture the train as it departs Keystone and makes a spectacular run past, heading for the steep grades ahead. And lastly, we capture the train as it blasts through a canyon. This railroad is incredible to hear and we hope to return one day to capture some more action. Number 7 will prove that here.
Our next state to visit is Oregon. We are on the Albany and Eastern Railroad created in 1998 from the X lines of BNSF. We imagine we were there to capture their most recent visiting locomotive on a log train on the Mill City branch. The engine is Oregon American Lumber Company Prairie Number no. 105, a 262. From 1964 to 1969, this engine operated for the Veronia. South Park and Sunset Steam Railroad, and was once part of the Fred Kepner collection. The engine is currently in Garibaldi, Oregon, as part of the Oregon Coast Scenic Railroad. However, today, we will imagine that this engine travels to different RS events around the Pacific Northwest, including this one. We find and begin to record the engine as it hauls a loaded log train from the Teven Brothers log yard in Crabtree heading back to Lebanon. Making its way across the Thomas Creek trestle in West Skio, the train picks up speed. Later we catch it one more time on a grate on the outskirts of Lebanon. The engineer is probably letting the engine work against the brakes to make outstanding stack talk for us as we hear this old workhorse do what she was built to do. I hope you will enjoy these recordings.
The next railroad in Oregon is one we mentioned in the previous episode. I suppose you will remember that when we last visited the Oregon Coast Scenic Railroad in Garibaldi, Oregon, X McLeod River Railroad 262 number 25 was double-headed with fellow McLeod engine 282 number 19. This time, the engine is operating alone. In the first recording, the engine runs the newly installed local freight heading from Tillamook to Banks. The engine passes a creek near Batterson. We then hear the train run past the new replica of the station in Enright. With no freight cars to drop off here, the train continues its run to Banks and will pick up and drop off cars in other towns along the way. Number 25 is working hard with its 28,000 pounds of tractive force pulling a good-sized branch line freight train behind its tender. Let's see if you can agree if number 25, despite its age, is still going strong 98 years after its construction. Stand back. Here she comes.
Our fourth and final state visit is California. We begin with the renowned California Western Railroad, running between Fort Bragg and Willits in the northern part of the state. This freight-slash-tourist railroad has become a rail fan favorite through the years. It was owned by the Sierra Railroad when it rescued the then 98-year-old railroad in 2003 from bankruptcy. The pride of the line is 282 Mike No. 45, a 1924 Baldwin engine. The engine has been on the railroad since 1964. Currently, the engine operates on the railroad skunk train. With the railroad being a Class 3 freight business and having passengers as the main bulk, the RS team imagines using the engine for occasional freight movements. More plans are in the works for more steam engines to be on this line, but let's listen to the flagship, Mike number 45, as she works a CWR freight train as she was meant to do. We first hear number 45 and its revenue train making a spirited run past our microphones about a quarter of the way into its journey to Willits. Then we hear the train making a spectacular stack talk as it departs its water stop at North Spur, 21 miles into the run and the midway point on the line. The stack talk bark of number 45 seems to echo around the redwood forest covered hills. After switching at Willits, we hear the mighty stack talk of number 45 again, along with the scream of the generator as it departs town heading back to Fort Bragg to the west.
<laughs> to our surprise, number 45 is not the only steam locomotive operating on the CWR during our imaginary visit. An older and much larger resident has returned. It is 2662 number 46. This 1937 Baldwin came from the Rainier Railroad in Washington State and was originally number 111. It once ran with number 45 on the CWR from 1968 through the 1970s, and today it is on display at the Pacific Southwest Railway Museum in Campo, California. Restoration on the engine is planned. But we imagine that this engine is fully restored traveling to different RS events, including visits to the CWR on some occasions. And in this case, it's teaming up with number 45 on heavier freight runs from Fort Bragg to Willits and return. We record number 45 and 46, working the eastbound freight over a curved trestle. Number 46 is leading, and we hear her whistle from a distance in the woods before she comes chugging by us with freight wheel flanges screeching against the curve. And pushing on the rear of the train is number 45. This is an incredible sight to record as this road is beginning to show its image of the steam age returning to life grandly. For the next two recordings of the CW, with number 45 and number 46, the next day the engines are double-heading another freight to Willits. First they emerge from a tunnel, using all their power to climb up to the elevation of 1740 feet at the top of the grade. Number 45 leads, with its stack talk, almost overwhelming our microphones. This is followed by number 46, hissing steam loudly. Next, we proceed to the Horseshoe Curve. No, not the Pennsylvania Horseshoe Curve, but the CW's own in California. The line twists and turns several times not far from Willits, making watching or recording the action more spectacular. The engines are again working hard. Enjoy the sounds of a famous mic and a hard-working mallet in the redwoods of California. 
as they shout out to the world that the Age of Steam is beginning to return in force.
Now for the last two CW recordings. The next day, we hear the mallet number 46. First, we are high above the tracks near Crawley as number 46 works another train, the daily passenger train, through the curves several miles west of Willets. And we end our visit to the California Western Railroad with the mallet ending today's job in Fort Bragg, where she will cut off and be tied down for the night. Who knows what other steam surprises the CW will provide? Well, only time will tell. Hopefully.
At our next stop in California, we catch some action on a rebuilding project of a once famous narrow gauge railroad. In the previous episode, we featured Rory Kemp and Big Tree's Heisler No. 2 being tested for duty. Now she is doing some of that duty in and near Tuolumne, California, where the famous West Side Lumber Company narrow gauge operation was headquartered. In our imaginary RS event, we record the engine working hard on a grade in a canyon near Riverside Station. Another RS member is riding the train and capturing the action as the train crosses a trestle over Tuolumne Fork. The engine is hauling a train of work supplies to continue the reconstruction process of the entire railroad. We then hear the same train in the gathering darkness as it heads downgrade into Tuolumne. The new purpose will turn the line into a camping railroad with camps developed around the area of the railroad. For now, listen to number two as we hear the engine blow its whistle mournfully, echoing throughout a region that has seen a last of a breed work its hardest. I sure hope those days will return.
<laughs> the next day is another surprise for us. Visiting the West Side Restoration Project is Roaring Camp Big Tree's two-truck shay number one, the Dixiana. The 1912 engine is recorded twice in this segment. We captured the engine and another restoration supply train as it hits the steep grade near Riverside Station. The next recording features the train approaching the reconstruction camp near the switchback at the end of the West Side Line. The engine's roaring stack talk is apparent on this steep portion of the railroad. It won't be long before West Side Shays return to their home to work this very route again. That will happen in future podcast episodes. You won't be disappointed, and I will guarantee you that.
Now we return to the Sierra Railway near Jamestown, California, which was featured in the previous episode. And this time, we hear not one, not two, but three of the railroad steam locomotives operating together for the first time since the 1970s. The triple header consisted of movie star 1891 Roger Bill 10 Wheeler number 3, 1922 Baldwin 280 number 28, and the largest of the Sierra Railway engines, the 1925 Baldwin Mike number 34, which has not operated since 1980 and currently sits in the Jamestown Roundhouse waiting for restoration. Let's imagine that it has been restored, and the engine joins its fellow Sierra Railway comrades for RS events. The first sound is of the triple header as it departs a siding east of Jamestown after a freight car pickup. The freight train is unusually heavy, thus requiring all the power the three workhorses can provide. Though the train consisted of some empty lumber cars heading to the mill near Standard, other freight cars carry heavy loads for industries and small businesses along the line. The action here is awesome as we hear the different whistles blown by the engines for the various crossings east of Jamestown. No need to argue or bicker over these whistles. They are a symbol of a steam locomotive. Listen and enjoy.
The last two recordings for this episode are taken the next day. We are witnessing a double header with number 3 and 34 this time. We first hear them as they slip on the rails making a backward movement during some switching at Hetch Hetchy Junction. And we end the trip with the engines as they depart the junction heading north to Oakdale. Like the previous episode, this scene brings back memories of our grandparents' stories of steam trains regularly departing their hometowns. That is what the Revival Steam Movement is all about, to bring back those memories. This week, I would like to credit Arcade Custom Records for the sounds heard from their album, Journey to Yesterday, Volume 1 in 1971, and Volume 2 from 1973. The sounds from the 1971 album are available on Discogs, eBay, and Archive.org, thanks to the upload by Jorgen Odiangen. I do apologize if I pronounced that wrong. And lastly, I would again like to credit my Aunt Beth Tremblay for being my script editor for my episodes. The setting sun is in the end of this episode, but it will rise again on another day and continue our RS story. So nothing more needs to be said. This is Alec Butler of Revival Steam, and we will see you next time.